Go please to Romans, the first chapter. Romans chapter 1. We began some weeks ago on a series that we're calling Living by Faith. And uh, I want to continue with this. In uh, Romans, the first chapter, Romans chapter 1 and verse 15. He said, as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Everybody say that last phrase out loud with me, please. The just shall live by faith. Those justified by the blood of Jesus and their faith in it, those made right in God's eyes because of the sacrifice of Jesus, they will live how? By faith. Other scriptures talk about we walk by faith, and I don't know, half a dozen other ones throughout the Bible says this same phrase, the just shall live by faith. It is an emphasis in the Bible. It's an emphasis in Jesus' ministry. How many remember uh, repeatedly Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, people that had miracles, that experienced miracles in Jesus' ministry? What did he tell them? Your faith has saved you. Your faith has made you whole. As you have believed, your faith, your faith. Jesus put the emphasis on their faith, the receiver's faith. Now, a lot of people have gotten away from that and actually changed that. And and a whole lot of churches today and ministries, they put the emphasis on the will of God. Jesus did not place the emphasis on the will of God. He put the emphasis on the individual's faith. Can you see what a subtle thing that is? If the will of God was the most important determining factor, then that's what Jesus would have said. When when a miracle happened, he'd have said, rejoice, it was the will of God. Wouldn't he? He would have said, glory to God, the, the will of God was for this to happen. He would have kept putting the emphasis on the will. That's not what he did. So we don't need to change it. How many think we ought to put the emphasis where Jesus put the emphasis? He put it on faith. He put the emphasis on faith. Now, uh, go with me over to uh, Hebrews, the 10th chapter. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 35 Hebrews 10.35 says, Cast not away, therefore, your confidence. Confidence is another word for faith and trust. Which has great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience. That after you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come, will come, and will not tarry. Now. The just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, 
my soul shall have no pleasure in him. Now we mentioned a couple of Fridays back talking about this same subject. That a lot of folks have emphasized let go and let God. That's a common saying among Christians. But it is not a scripture. And it's actually contradictory to scriptures like this and like others. The Bible said if you back off, (laughs) draw back, pull back, back off, the Lord's not going to be pleased with that. Why would that be? Well, because the just live by, is faith backing off? Is faith completely stopping and waiting on God? To do it. (laughs) Keep reading. Verse 39. We are not of them who draw back unto perdition. But of them that believe to the saving of the soul. And then he launches into what we call the great faith chapter. This whole 11th chapter. I mean almost every verse starts by. Starts with by faith. By faith. By faith. Verse 6. Notice this. 11.6. But without faith. It is what? Impossible Impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must, not not should, must means it's not optional. If you're going to get to him, you got to come by faith. That's the only way. And if you're going to receive from him, you got to receive by faith. It is the only way. So you got some intellectuals in the earth and they're saying, if God is real, Prove to me that God is real. Prove it to me. It's not our job to prove anything to you. And the creator is not going to do it that way. He didn't say, let me prove it to you and then see if you want to believe. He said, believe and then I'll show you something. That's the way and the only way it works. Believe and you'll see. Not seeing is believing. Without faith is what? Impossible to please. Not not hard, not difficult. Impossible. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Didn't the Bible say in 1 Timothy, what, 6, 12 or so? Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold. On eternal life. Does that sound the same as let go and let God? Now it depends on what you're talking about. I mean if you're talking about casting all your cares over on the Lord. And not worrying uh, about something. Let go of your care. And trust God to take care of you. There's a truth there. But if you're talking about sitting back and doing nothing. And waiting on God to do it all. You are contradicting scripture big time and you're going to miss out because the Bible teaches us that the just live by letting go and letting God, waiting on God. No, the just live by faith and faith is get up and get after it. Faith is reach out and lay hold. Faith is possess what God has given. Do you see this, friends? That's what many Christians over the last several centuries, have not seen and gotten because that was lost to much of the church. 
And so what has been preached instead of faith is the mysterious will of God. And that it's all up to God. And that God is in total control of everything. Everything that happens was God. Everything that didn't happen was God. And it's not up to us. It's up to him. And I know that sounds like you're showing respect to God, but you are contradicting so many scriptures when you say that. So many verses. If that sounds strange to you, don't just take my word for it. We spent weeks a few years ago on a series called uh, You Choose. Go back there and get it. Won't cost you a dime. Go online, download it. And I mean, it's a bunch of sessions, isn't it? I mean, what is it? 10, 12 sessions or something. Go with us and look at every verse and see if this is true or not. Examine the scriptures, whether these things are true. And the truth, if it's true, you know what the truth will do for you? It will make you free. Hallelujah. Anybody like being free? Want to be freer? <laughs> Go with me to 1 John 5th chapter. 1 John 5. You know, we we talk about redeeming the time. We have such precious little time. I mean, I'm, I'm. These are my introductory verses, right? And where I'm already thinking, okay, how much time? What am, what are we going to leave off? What are we going to do here? What are we going to do there? These are precious times that we have to be together. Precious, precious times. And so uh, we ought not be in too big of a rush to get away from the word. To get away from the anointing. To get away from light. I perceive. That the level of revelation. Has come up. Not not that it's going to. It has. We're there. The level of revelation. And light. And anointing. Has come up. We have come up. Oh that's jump. That's jumping. And run around the church. Shout. Right there. I mean that's. Is it true or not? We have come up. We are at a higher place than we were just a few months ago. Oh, thank you, Lord. I think we ought to stand up and just thank the Lord for that right now. Everybody just stand up. Stand up and thank the Lord. Lord, I thank you. I worship you. We give you glory. Oh, how precious the light of your word is to us. How precious your life-changing truth is to us. We value it. We esteem it. We treasure it, Lord. How precious the manifestations of your Holy Spirit are. Thank you for your holy presence in our midst. Oh, Lord, I acknowledge we wouldn't know a thing. We wouldn't see a thing unless you revealed it to us. And we give you all the praise and, and all the glory and all the thanks and worship for it in Jesus' name. Thank you for bringing us up higher. And we look forward to moving even further up yet. Hallelujah. To your glory. To your glory. For our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Whoo. Thank you, Lord. We don't want to be like the nine lepers that didn't come back and give thanks. We want to be like the one that did. You can be seated. First John 5. And four. He said, 
For whatsoever is born of God. Are you born of God? You've been born again? And this is your verse. Talking about you. Whatsoever is born of God, what happens? Overcomes the world. You know what's supposed to happen in the life of the believer who walks by faith? Living by faith does not mean you never have any challenges. No, it doesn't. He didn't say that. What it does mean is that you overcome everyone. Come on, everyone. Is it true? He always causes us to try. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. all. We're supposed to win, win, win. And then win, win, win. And then do what? Win. And then we win. And then we win, win, win. And then it's a win, win. And then it's a win, 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 win. And then what is it? Win. Well, now that means you're dealing with stuff. But what do you do? You overcome. You overcome the temptation. You overcome the trial. You overcome the test. You overcome the challenge. You overcome the circumstances and the symptoms and the people that's not acting right. What they're doing in your life. You just keep coming over, which is the opposite of going under. Come on, somebody say it. By the grace of God. And by living by faith. I don't go under. I go over. Every time. If you're an overcomer, you come over. If you come over, you didn't go under. It's not just what has happened to you on occasion. It's who you are. It's who you are. Come on, somebody needs to say, I am an overcomer. It's who I am. By the greater one inside me, I can overcome anything. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Greater is he who's in me than he who is in the world. That makes me a world overcomer. And the means by which it is achieved is faith. This is the victory that overcomes the world. And it's the only way it can be done. Even our faith. That's the determining factor. It's the will of God for everybody to overcome. All the time. It's the will of God for everybody to be saved. All the time. Will of God for everybody to be protected. All the time. It's the will of God for everybody to be healed. All the time. It's the will of God for everybody's needs to be met. All the time. He is not willing that any should perish ever. Yeah, but people are perishing. I know. What's the difference? The victory that overcomes the world is not just the power of God. That's unchanging. It's not just the will of God. God's will is the same for everybody. What's the difference? What makes the difference? Even our faith. 
The just shall live by faith. Walk by faith. Please God by faith. Overcome by faith. Receive good things by faith. Resist the devil by faith. By faith. By faith. By faith means victory. Glory to God. You believe it? Well, I wanted to make sure you did before we left our texts. Go with me, please, to the book of 1 Timothy, the fourth chapter. 1 Timothy 4, and release faith with me, please. There's some things I need to, to say and say exactly the right way. And I'm believing for utterance that's beyond me, beyond what I know, what I can say and do. You go into 1 Timothy 4. Let's release faith. Father, in Jesus' name, we all of us agree. We agree together asking you for utterance, for the anointing, for exactly what you would say, the way you would say it, and what we need to see right now. We ask for it. We believe we receive it. And for ears that can hear it and hearts that can receive it. And we purpose not to be forgetful hearers, but to be doers. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. 1 Timothy 4, verse 1 is talking about what? The Spirit speaks expressly. That means very specifically and clearly and plainly. That in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith. What would they get away from? Faith. Faith. And in doing so, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Now there's more than one source of inspiration for teachings. And he's not talking about just teachings that you would hear if you foolishly went to a Satanist church. These are teachings you could hear in what it should be a Christian church. But the inspiration came from what? Seducing spirits and demons. The word devils is the word for demons. And what would these doctrines do? They would cause people to do what? Leave faith. And they're believing. Keep reading. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. He goes on talking about things. He gives some examples of doctrines of demons. Forbidding to marry is a doctrine of demons. (laughs) Commanding to abstain from certain kind of foods is a doctrine of demons. Which God created to be received with thanksgiving of them that believe and know the truth. For every creation of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. For it's sanctified by the word of God in prayer. If you put the brethren in remembrance of these things, you'll be a good minister of Jesus Christ. He's contrasting him with these other folks who are not good ministers. Right? And what's the result of good ministry? And you'll be nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine whereunto you have attained 
But refuse profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself rather unto godliness. You're going to see this clearer and clearer. We're going to go to two other passages in the New Testament that say the same thing that we just got through reading here. That the enemy will endeavor to infiltrate Christian ministry with doctrines that are inspired not by God, but by the enemy. And that the result and effect is that people go away from faith and replace it with something else. Tell me what it's impossible to please God without. Impossible to get saved without. What's the only thing you can overcome this world with? Faith. Well, then it shouldn't be surprising. The enemy knows this. And so if that's the key to you overcoming him at every turn and to you receiving every good thing God has for you, finding and finishing your course and your race, if that's the key, what's the enemy going to go for? Your faith. To get you off of faith and away from faith. That's his objective. That's his plan. And he's very, very tricky about doing it. Go with me, please, to the book of Jude. Now, just one chapter in Jude. And uh, this whole chapter, this whole little book, is about just what we've been talking about from 1 Timothy. It's about this same topic and subject. And as you, as you realize, what comes after Jude? Revelation, and that's it. And so he's, Revelation deals with the last of the last days. And Timothy was talking about in the latter times. And Jude is talking about in the latter times. Has anybody lived in any later times than us? <laughs> Mm-mm. So if, if a generation, the verses about latter times ever applied to, it's us. <laughs> now, uh, look in Jude. And I'm going to read to you from the, the Weist translation. Well, I'm, we're going to go over it two or three times. Uh, if you're interested in this, let me encourage you that after the service, tomorrow, tonight, whenever, next week, read this book, Jude, carefully. With the understanding that we're going to have after we read this tonight. Read it carefully. And you'll see why, begin to see more and more why it's in the book and why it's so important. In, in uh, Jude, I'll begin about verse 3 or so. Well, let me read the King James and then we'll read the, the Weast. He said, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write to you and exhort you that you should earnestly Contend for what? For the what? Faith. Which was once delivered to the saints. Keep reading. Verse 4. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. 
What did he say was happening and going to happen? He said you need to fight for faith. And he said these people are coming in and perverting grace. Isn't that what he said? Should we be aware of this and be thinking about this then? What should we be contending for? Faith. What should we be on the watch for? Distortions or perversions of grace. Now, uh, let me read this to you from the Weiss translation. Divinely loved ones. This is Weiss translation. When giving every diligence to be writing to you concerning the salvation possessed in common by all of us, I had constraint laid upon me to write to you. He's saying the Spirit of God moved him. That he had to talk about this right now. Beseeching you to contend with intensity and determination for the faith. Once for all entrusted to the safekeeping of the saints. For certain men entered surreptuously who were of old predicted with reference to this judgment. Men destitute of reverential awe towards God. Perverting the grace of our God into moral anarchy and lack of self-restraint and denying the only absolute master, even our Lord Jesus Christ. Go back to verse 5 in the King James. He said, I will put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, Afterward destroyed them that believed not. You know what he's answering in in this verse in the next couple of verses? The questions about once saved, always saved. So-called eternal security. Which is also a perversion of grace. Y'all with me, friends? Keep reading. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness until the judgment of that great day. Verse 7. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah, and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication, and going after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion and speak evil of dignities. Now he gives three examples of individuals that were in a safe place and later were destroyed. And why is he talking about this? Because of distortions of grace. Keep reading verse 9. Yet Michael the archangel when contending with the devil He disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of those things which they know not, and what they know naturally as brute beasts, in those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for they've gone in the way of Cain, and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Cory. Now gainsaying is back-talking. 
He, in these last few verses, he keeps talking about lack of respect, lack of reverence, and rebellion. These go hand in hand with the error that he's talking about. Verse 12, these are spots in your feast of charity. When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds there are without water, carried about with winds, trees who fruit wither without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. Keep going, I just want to keep reading. Raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Enoch also the seventh from Adam prophesied of these saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all, to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Now listen, boy, the Lord gave me some things today. I'm giving him all the credit and glory. I did not figure these things out. There are very distinct identifiers of wrong doctrine here. And one of them is this. Wrong doctrine causes the hearers to become more ungodly. Slash worldly. What is worldly? Talking about the godless world. The unbelieving world. Good doctrine causes you to be built up in faith. Causes you to become more godly. Bad doctrine takes you away from faith. And causes you to become more worldly. And more ungodly. It's the fruit of error. It's the fruit of wrong teaching. Verse 16. These are murmurers. Complainers walking after their own lust, their mouth speaks great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. Another characteristic of wrong doctrine is great emphasis on individuals, great emphasis on specific persons, personalities. Verse 17 But beloved, Remember you the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. These be they who separate themselves sensual, having not the spirit. Well, I guess uh, you get to read this sooner than you thought. Now he's revealed the Spirit of God speaking through him. How many believe this is God? This is this is inspired scripture. This is not just Jude talking, this is the Spirit of God speaking to all men for all time through his servant Jude. Now he talked about the problems with this wrong doctrine and, and this error. And then he tells us what we're supposed to do. People that are not going to go with the wrong doctrine, what are we supposed to do? But you, beloved. Building up yourselves on your most holy faith. What do we do? We're not going to turn loose of faith. We're going to increase in faith. Is that right? We, anything that tries to de-emphasize faith to us, we're going to have flags going up. Going, hold up, hold up. We're not going for less faith here. 
We're going for more faith. But you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. And what else? Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. We're not believing we're going to be lost like the angels and like Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed and, and like the Israelites who didn't believe God. We're holding on to faith. Yes. Not going to let anything steal our faith. And we're going to keep the New Testament commandment and walk by love. Yes. Is that right? Yes. And by the mercy of God, we're going to be kept yes. unto, hallelujah, eternal life. Yes. And we're not going to be lost. We're going to be saved. Yes. We are saved and we will be saved. Yes. Anybody believe it? Verse 22, and of some have compassion, making a difference. Others saved with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that's able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. Hallelujah. Woo. Glory to God. Glory to God. Does this apply to us? Nobody's lived in any later days. Is this written to the church? Go back to verse 1. Jude 1 1. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James, to who? Them that are sanctified by God, the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Somebody say, Me. 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 That's us. That's me. Mercy to you and peace and love be multiplied. Now, uh, let me read some of the translations to you here. The Message Bible, verse 3. Dear friends, I've dropped everything to write you about this life of salvation we have in common, and I have to write, insisting, begging, that might be a different word we'd use, that you fight with everything you have in you for this faith entrusted to us as a gift to guard and cherish. How are we born again? Our faith. How do we receive our forgiveness and cleansing of any mistake we make? Our faith. How do we receive our healing and our bills paid and our babies healed? Come on, are you with me? Our faith, our faith, our faith. It's the determining factor. It's how we overcome this evil world. Let me read to you from the Living Bible. Verse 4. The Living Bible. Picking up where we just left off. I say this because some godless teachers have wormed their way into your churches. Saying that after we become Christians, we can do just as we like without fear of God's punishment. What is that? That is a distortion, a perversion of grace. Isn't it? This is the TLB, the Living Bible. I say this because some godless teachers have wormed their way in among you, 
saying that after we become Christians, we can do just as we like without fear of God's punishment. The fate of such people was written long ago, for they've turned against our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in the King James you don't get the same thought as you do on some of these other translations. Listen to the language of uh, the CEV, complete English version. In, in verse 4, it says it like this. Some godless people have sneaked in among us and are saying, God treats us much better than we deserve, and so it's all right to be immoral. They even deny that we must obey Jesus Christ as our only Master and Lord. Not just denying that Jesus is the only way and Savior, but denying that He is Lord and Master, the need to obey Him. Do we need to obey Him? Yeah, we do. We need to obey Him. And if we don't obey him, could there be any judgment? Now, this is where some folks get upset and they go, no, no, I was trying to go back under the law. That's a mixture of this and that and the other. Well, no, I'm reading Jude in the New Testament. Why does he tell us about that the Israelites that were first delivered out of Egyptian bondage were later destroyed because they would not believe. Why would he say that? Why would he say the angels that had a great place left their place and are reserved to judgment? And what's Sodom and Gomorrah about? People don't want to talk about Sodom and Gomorrah, especially in our generation and day and age. Do they? Well, why is it in there? Why is Sodom and Gomorrah, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, in there? As a warning to those that would completely ignore God and have no concern about obeying Jesus and want to believe that you can live any way you want to without any concern of any judgment. Jude is warning us solemnly. That's not the truth. That's a perversion. That's a distortion of the message of grace. Can you see this? Do you believe it or not? Two big indicators of error are revealed to us here. One of them is, I'm looking back at the Wiest translation again now. In verse 8, he brings this up, that they set at naught authority. In verse 14, they are destitute of a reverential awe towards God. In verse 18, he says it again, they're destitute of a reverential awe towards God. One of the big indicators of wrong doctrine, error, is lack of respect. These are not my words. These are his. Lack of respect. Lack of respect. He gives an example of the archangel, right? Disputing with the devil over Moses' body. 
And the archangel does not rail against the devil and cuss him and call him old stupid slewfoot and all these other kind of things. He said, the Lord rebuke you. Why? Because this being, as perverted and fallen as he is, used to be in the holy presence of God. Used to be the anointed cherub that covers. I'm sure Michael remembers when he was. But this looseness and no respect is devilish. And people, their pursuit is to be casual and free. And everything's okay. And we're just all, we're just all the same. Just, we're just buds. But people just keep going in the wrong direction. And they get out of the middle of the road. And they get in the ditch. And it's just disrespectful. No respect for this, no respect for the service, no respect for what's going on, no respect for the ministry, no respect for the word. We can do anything. We can come in in uh, our swimsuit and a bucket of fried chicken (laughs) and prop our feet up on the back of the seat and clip our nails and go, oh, hallelujah. Yeah, that's my daddy yoke. And people think it's great. And they think it's cool. And they think it's freedom. But it's not. I said it's not. Lack of respect. And lack of reverential awe. For God and all his things. Is the indicator. Of error. Doctrines of devils. Well it's not too hard to figure out. Who wants to disrespect God. No need to say that. No need to be on time. No need to give any effort to that. Just, you know, it's, everything's fine. No big deal. <laughs> well, you, like Brother Hagin, you say, you can say amen, or you could say oh me, or. <laughs> I've read you two New Testament witnesses. I'm going to give you a third one right now that the Lord gave us. Second Peter. Go to Second Peter. The Lord gave me these things today. I rejoice in them. To me, they're precious. How to identify wrong doctrine, bad doctrine, two big things. It's so simple. What's the first one we've given you? Lack of respect. And boy, we live in a generation, don't we? We live in a generation that it'd have to look up the definition of respect and still not know, right? I mean, we are, our country, the U.S., as great as it is, and as wonderful and as thankful we are that we have it, we are suffering from the aftermath of the 60s and the 70s. We lost some things that we have not gotten back. Not to say it was perfect before that. Don't misunderstand me. But, you know, the free love movement and the flower child and, and, and all of that was, you know, it's okay to refer to all the leadership as pigs. How disrespectful is that? 
It's okay to spit on people and mock people. Spit on soldiers returning back from serving overseas. Now, how many understand? That's as far from God as you can get. The Lord never dealt with you to speak disrespectfully to anybody or curse anybody or spit on anybody. Did he? That's as far from the Lord as you can get. The further off it gets, the more disrespectful people become. And the second one I'm going to give you here just in a minute. When you get to Second Peter. Are you there? Yes, sir. Second Peter and the first chapter. And the tenth verse. Anybody know what our subject in here is tonight? Living by faith. In Jesus above. You learned it last week, didn't you? Trusting, confiding in his great love. From all harm safe in his sheltering arms. I'm living by faith and I feel no alarm. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And when you're living by faith and you're walking with God, that's how Enoch walked with God, was by faith. You're drawing close to him. How many think the closer you get to God, the more disrespectful you'll be? No way. No how. The closer you get to him, the more respect you're going to show for him and his things and his people. Right? Hallelujah. Second Peter 1, 10. Wherefore the rather brethren give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord Savior, Jesus Christ. Should we continue... To examine ourselves that we be in the faith and continue to draw closer to the Lord our whole walk with him. It's just saying, hey, we got it. My name's on the roll. No biggie. Nothing matters. Nothing's a big deal. No. Give diligence to make sure you're calling an election sure. Go down to the second chapter. Verse 2 and about verse 17 or so. 2.17. He's talking about individuals that are ungodly. We got a witness in 1 Timothy. We got another witness in Jude. We got another witness in Peter. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. And these are three different individuals, authors that the Spirit of God used, three different men. In 2 Peter 2, Back up to verse 1. He said, but there were false prophets among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily, and that's what these other passages said, they'll come in secretly. They'll come in in a way that you don't notice it. Bringing in damnable heresies. (laughs) 
even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Now, again, of course it's obvious, anything that denies Jesus is Lord, you know that's wrong. But also, remember Jude was talking about these other translations bring out. They're talking about it's not necessary to obey him as Lord. See, a lot of people want Jesus as Savior. They don't want him as Lord. (laughs) And he keeps using these words in these other passages, Lord and Master. Is that right? And didn't Jesus say, you can't, nobody can serve two masters. No, Jesus, thank God, he is our Savior. He is our Redeemer, but he's supposed to be our Lord and Master. If he's your Lord, what does that mean? He tells you what to do every day of your life, and you do it. Because you're not your own Lord. He's your Lord. Come on, somebody say, he is my Lord. He is. Lord Jesus, Jesus, you are my Lord. Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You're my master. What you say over me is what directs my life. Now, is that going to affect your business? Where you go, what you do, what you're involved with. Not just Savior, Master, Lord. Verse 2. Many shall follow their pernicious ways. How many will be affected by this? Many. 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 By reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. It will affect a lot of people to the degree that outsiders will think less of Christianity. Because of it. And Christianity will be mocked and spoken evil of the way of truth because of these Wrong ways. Verse 3. Through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbers not. What's a big motivation in these folks he's talking about? Money. Money is a big motivation. Keep going. If God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, And delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. Does that sound familiar? And spared not the old world. But saved Noah the eighth. A preacher of righteousness. Bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Has God ever judged people? (laughs) When did he change? Well, Jesus was judged for us. Absolutely. Absolutely. But the only reason that affects us is if we believe. Back Right back to faith. If we believe it, if we receive it by faith, and if we hold to it fast by faith. Verse 6. Turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Why does the Spirit of God keep talking about this? These are different human authors. Different times and different places. And how many believe the scriptures don't have any unnecessary superfluous things in them? How many other things could the Lord have put in here instead of this? This must be vital information, revelation. Turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemn them with an overthrow, making them an example of those that after should live ungodly. 
And the main thing we know, the scripture could have given us all kind of things about Sodom and Gomorrah. But the only detail it gave us was that the men were so perverted in their homosexuality that they demanded that they bring those people out so they could rape them. Now, people want to act like that's not even in there, and they want to ignore it like it doesn't exist, but that's what it is. And people say, well, that's Old Testament. Jude is not Old Testament. Second Peter is not Old Testament. Romans 1 is not Old Testament, right? And I know this is completely unpopular. I know it's politically incorrect, but I am going to stay with this book. How about you? I'm staying right here. I'm not against anybody. I don't hate folks. But if God says this is right, this is wrong, this is good, this is evil, I'm going to stay with him. And it's not about people saying, well, I, you know, I don't like preachers like you or this. Forget about me. Do you respect his word? Do you respect his word? And if folks don't respect this, there's no need talking to them. Don't argue with folks. Don't get embroiled. Don't fuss. Don't fight. Don't judge people. Don't come down on them. If they don't want to hear this, they don't want to hear you. So just smile and go, well, it's a free country, you know. <laughs> right? I guess you can believe what you want to. Don't have to be mean. Don't have to be ugly. But nor does it mean I have to accept that you say this is truth and right. I don't have to accept it. No, I don't. Keep reading. And delivered just Lot who was vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knows how to deliver the ungodly out of temptations and reserve the unjust to the day of judgment to be punished. Is there coming judgment? Is there coming punishment? Yes, there is. And that's what these passages are talking about. And see, part of the error, a big part of the error is that there is no judgment. There's not going to be any judgment. Now, now here's, let me keep reading this. Chiefly, they that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government Presumptuous are they, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. What's a big characteristic here? No respect. They just talk anyway about people, including their leaders, including their parents. Is that right? Including everybody that's over them. I mean, aren't we seeing it and hearing it all around us? People got no qualms. They will say anything. No respect. Verse 11. Whereas angels who are greater in power and might bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. He's saying you need to learn something from these angels. What about them? They are respectful. They are reverent. They live in the presence of the Almighty. They experience this purity and holiness. On a continual basis. And as they know. Far more than any of us know. What the devil and his bunch did. I mean they know some stuff. That would cause you to. Rant and rail and want to speak over. But they also know. 
what's right and what's not right. What's godly, what's not godly. And basically what the archangel said to the devil is, uh, uh, the Lord's going to take care of you. Hmm? I'm not going to mess with you. <laughs> the Lord judge you. But he, he didn't mock and speak derogatorily of dignities, nor did he make light. In the same time, he showed greatest respect for the Lord. Didn't he? He said, the Lord. The Lord's going to judge concerning this. The Lord rebuke you. That's it. He's done with him. These, as natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things they understand not. They got no qualms about just talking about things. They don't have a clue what they're talking about. But they mock it. I mean... You have to change the channel pretty quickly not to hear blasphemy a lot of times. People will say all kinds of things about the Lord, about the Master. I mean, some of the jokes people make about Jesus, obvious they don't know Him. It's obvious they have absolutely zero respect for Him or any of His things. How many know that's the devil? Who would want to do that? Who would want to mock Jesus? And make fun of Jesus. And disrespect Jesus. Who would want to do that? See these people don't realize. They are the devil's mouthpiece. They are so ignorant of what's going on. He brings them thoughts and feelings. And they just spit them right out. They don't realize. They're his puppet. He's almost moving their mouth. He's the one who hates. He's the one who despises. They speak evil of things they understand not. They'll utterly perish in their own corruption. Keep reading. And shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they that counted a pleasure to ride in the daytime. Spots they are, blemishes, sporting themselves with you, their own deceivings while they feast with you. Now, so where were these people at? <laughs> They're with them in different services and situations. Having eyes full of adultery. And it cannot cease from sin. Beguiling unstable souls. A heart they have exercised with covetous practices. Cursed children. Which have forsaken the right way. What does that mean? At one point they knew it. You can't forsake something you never knew. What is the right way? What did Jude talk about? What's the first thing he said? You must earnestly contend for the faith. What's the right way? Living by faith. Faith will honor God. Faith will believe God. Faith will follow God. They've forsaken the right way. They've gone astray following the way of Balaam, the son of Bosor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Just keep reading. I think we can finish this passage. He was rebuked for his iniquity. The dumb ass speaking with man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water. Clouds that are carried with a tempest. To whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity. They allure through the lust of the flesh. Through much wantonness. Those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. They did know the way, but they forsook the way. They were delivered and had gotten out, had escaped. But these teachers of error 
get them back into what they had been delivered from. Verse 19. While they promised them what? Here's another characteristic of bad doctrine. Well, let me just say it like this. The way the Lord told me. Two big indicators of error. Bad teaching. Bad doctrine. Number one was what? Lack of respect. And the second one is lack of restraint. Lack of restraint. When you read where he said that they'll turn the the grace of our Lord into lasciviousness, that's what that word literally means. No restraint. What does no restraint mean? What is it you're not supposed to do? Oh, we're not under bondage. (laughs) What do we not do? Well, there's no law. What's the indication? You can do pretty much anything without being concerned about any judgment or any problem. No restraint. And that's what these guys were preaching. They promised people liberty. You believe what we're preaching and you will get free. They didn't say this, but what would we say having seen what we've seen? You're going to get free from respect. Respecting God, respecting God's people. And you're going to get free from any restraint. So you can do whatever you want to do. Without, yeah, maybe you know it's not okay, but it's no big deal. Not a big deal. Said out loud, no respect. No restraint. No restraint. Error. 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 Keep reading. Well, let me read this again. Verse 19. While they promised them what? Liberty. Liberty. What are they telling them? You need to get free from all those crusty, you know, old codger Christians that, you know, because they say, you know, this is wrong and that's wrong and the other's wrong and, and we're going to live holy and we're going to live right. You need to get free from all that. That's just bondage. That's just bondage. You need to get free. Free. You are what you are. The Lord knows what you are. Be free. They promise them what? And the people that are preaching this, how are they doing? They are themselves the servants of corruption. You know, you need to ask yourself before you get too stirred up about somebody's preaching or somebody's book or somebody's message. How are they doing? Do you know how they're doing? What's their personal life like? How are they doing? How's their marriage doing? How's their family doing? How's their kids doing? Because if it's truth, it'll make you free. Not a promise of false freedom, genuine freedom. There can be results. There can be miracles. While they promise some liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of what a man is overcome, of the same he's brought in bondage. Keep reading. 
If after they've escaped the pollutions of the world, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. Do you see what he's talking about, saints? These were guys who were drunks, they were drug addicts, they were prostitutes, they were whatever it was, liars, thieves, murderers, and they got saved. Hallelujah, they got saved and they got free. They got free from all those things and lived free for a while living by faith. Come on, can you see this? And then somebody comes along and gives them some new doctrine, which is a distortion of grace, teaching them there's no need to show respect. And there's no need to show restraint. You can be free. So the alcoholic takes another drink or two. Because we're not under bondage. The person that's been, you know, used to be in all this promiscuity. They start flirting a little bit. Because we're free. Next thing you know. They've gotten involved in that. And thing after thing after, and you know, this person told a lie. Well, you know, the Lord, the Lord knew I was going to lie before I lied and it was already taken care of. And it, it, you know, it's, uh, it's not, he, it's not that big a deal. He don't even see it. He doesn't see your heart. Whether you're walking in the light of what you know or don't know. If they're entangled again, they wind up back in the same stuff they were delivered from, their latter end is where they can wind up worse shape in these areas than they were before. Keep reading. Verse 21. It'd been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they've known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. It's happened to them according to the true proverb, the dog's returned to his own vomit again. The sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mouth. Somebody says, that's disgusting. That is how disgusting it is for somebody that's been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb and delivered from all these things. Come on, can you see this? To believe lies and start living loose and start not showing respect to the Word and the things of God and start throwing off restraint and getting looser and looser and more ungodly and worldly and living because that is a straight path back into the pit God got you out of. Somebody say, not me. Not me. Not me by the grace of God. I'm not going to believe that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to pursue that. I don't want to see how worldly I can live. I want to get more godly. Come on to you. I don't want to get see how far and loose I can live. There's a story told uh, of a little boy who kept falling out of bed. And his mom would come and talk to him. He fell out of bed and she'd hear a thump and she'd come get him, pick him up, put him back in, put his cover back on him. Happened several times. And finally one night again for the twelfth time, he falls out of bed, kaplunk. She runs in. You okay? You okay? Uh-huh. Picked him up, put him in, said, honey, why do you think you keep falling out of bed? He said, I guessed I just stayed too close to where I got in at. I guess I stayed too close to where I got in. Ed, how many know you don't want to see how close you can stay to where you got in, Ed, lest you fall out? 
You want to get right all the way in. Is that right? Get all the way in, in the middle of the bed. So if you do roll over a little bit, you're still in the bed. Is that right? You, you got some margin. Is that right? You, you got some room. You got, you got some space. <laughs> oh, friend, we want to see how respectful we can be. Don't we? And anything that we find out that displeases the Lord, we don't want to do it. Is that right? We don't want to do it. We want to draw near to him and let him draw near to us. And as we experiencing him, we're not going to become more worldly. We're going to become more godly. And our reverence and our respect is just going to go up and up and up. And we're not going to want to be loose and just anything goes. We want to live like Jesus. Right? And though he was tempted in all points just like us, yet he didn't yield to it. Proving you don't have to. And we can go week after week and month after month and year after year and not succumb to temptation. It is possible. Come on, is is it possible? It's possible. And even if we do, we're not going to mock and laugh and make like it's not a deal. We violated our conscience. We didn't walk in like we had. And it it took an awful price to get our redemption, didn't it? I mean, the price Jesus had to pay to get our sins washed away is nothing to be taken lightly. And when we need to, we receive And we are cleansed and we walk in the light, but we don't treat it like it's no big deal. Stand on your feet, everybody. Oh, thank you, Lord. Let's focus on him and just lift up our hearts and our hands and our minds to the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. I want us to pray. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And then I want us to pray in the Spirit song. Did you notice that scripture said? But you, building up yourselves in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, in the Holy Spirit, is connected to your faith. Said out loud, Father God, I confess. You are perfectly pure. You are perfectly holy. You, your things, should be held in the highest regard. Not spoken about loosely nor disrespectfully. Certainly not mockingly. But I desire to honor you. As you ought to be honored. Teach me. I thank you for what you gave me tonight. Open my eyes. Teach me further about this. Tonight. Tomorrow. And the next day. Bring these things to my remembrance. Help me to understand them fully. And further. In Jesus name. Give us utterance. What you'd have us to see further. Any changes you'd like to see. In our life. Any ways. I can please you better. That you'd be more fully pleased. With me. And as I walk with you. 
For those that have received so great salvation should walk in a manner worthy of such grace. Hallelujah. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.